0: Welcome to ground up. While the World Wide Web was built for everyone to participate equally and have equal opportunity, the founding vision seems to be not quite working and is, in fact, making everyone and everything more vulnerable as centralized services that are being built on decentralized internet are finding unique ways to consolidate powers challenging the very fundamentals of net neutrality. Moreover, when everyone and everything is getting digitized, the growing digital presence and activities brings us explosion in digital data, which is already becoming the most important asset for not only today, but also for the coming tomorrow. Now, most of this digital data is locked up in centralized systems and owned and controlled by just very few and is rapidly becoming commoditized, putting everyone and everything's identity, privacy, and security at risk. Understandably, the inclination towards democratization and decentralization is therefore growing stronger, not only in our digital lives and cyberspace, but also in geospace and space and blockchain technology, seems to bring us the power and potential to transfer the consolidated digital power and control from central authorities and distribute them to the collective community. So as blockchain technology that gives us a potential to bring democratization, decentralization and trust in the digital interconnectivity gives us a tracking capability and allows us to move away from centralized top-down structures And towards fully distributed, decentralized approaches to how each component of a nation, that is government, industries, organizations and academia operate, it is important to understand what is the future of blockchain and where it will take us. To discuss the future of blockchain further, I'm delighted to welcome Irving wolodowski Berger to Risk Roundup. Irving is a research affiliate at MIT, a guest columnist at Wall Street Journal, CIO Journal, and he's based in the United States. Welcome, Irving. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup.
1: Thank you, Yash. It's a pleasure to be talking to you here.
0: Wonderful, Irving. So let's first talk about why there is this need from centralization to decentralization. We all had high hopes for the internet and from the internet, but it seems to be crushing as not only the cyber crimes and cybersecurity risk keeps growing, but also the commoditization of digital data and digital identity is bringing us very complex security challenges for which perhaps no nation is prepared for. So is the promise of internet crushing as we speak?
1: Well, yes, we, um let me sort of take a step back. When the internet first came along, let's say, you know, the research started with the DARPA networks in the late 1960s, but most everybody agrees that the internet really started coming into its own in the mid 1980s. And it became an open network that initially was primarily used by the research communities, by universities, uh, academics in general, government, and so on. And what was different about the internet is that it introduced a set of standards that enabled everybody attached to it to communicate and to be able to deal with each other. uh, It on top of the internet came email standards that enabled people to send messages to each other. And then a few years later, in the early nineteen nineties, came the World Wide Web that enabled us to share information. And those were such a Healing capabilities that, starting in the early 90s, and of course taking off from there, it was embraced by the whole world. The internet before the internet, different companies had their own proprietary networks. IBM had systems network architecture, Digital had DECnet, and so on and it was difficult for people using different proprietary networks to communicate with each other or share information. Then came the internet, and all of a sudden, all that was possible. That's why it took off to the extent that it did in the 1990s. Uh, Everybody got all excited. We had a bubble, the bubble burst, you know, the dot-com bubble. And there is no question that since then, the internet has continued to advance in multiple directions. I don't know if it's the most transformative innovation the world has had. After all, electricity was very transformative. The automobile was very transformative, but it's definitely one of the most transformative innovations the world has ever seen. And when the internet first came out, it was viewed as this incredibly democratizing force, empowering everybody. You could uh, now write your whatever you wanted to and publish it on the web and everybody could see it. Uh, you could go shopping on it. You can find the best prices. It was truly viewed as this incredible empowerment of individuals, communities and institutions. And I think it still is. However, As is the case with all transformative innovation, there are unintended consequences. That is, things happen that you could not have foreseen at the time
0: yes very true and uh, there is no doubt about it that you know internet has given us a capability to connect with everyone across nation that itself is an amazing achievement and most individuals if we look at it today they are still willing to trade a totally. certain degree of privacy and security for the convenience and communication that you know they have got because of you know the internet and World wide web so But as we are becoming aware of the security risk.
1: Yes, but I think think that the way, you know, I'm optimistic, as you can see, and I think the way the world advances is you do something great, then you find its unintended negative consequences, and hopefully then we fix them. That is hopefully what we do. So... Here is a couple of important unintended consequences that you already mentioned. So when the internet first came up, we didn't realize that it would generate such incredible amounts of data, but incredible amounts of data. And we didn't realize how valuable that data would be that if you analyze that data with sophisticated algorithms, all of a sudden uh, you could have quote-unquote intelligence in the system because the systems could extract lots of ideas from the data. But then what happened is that those companies that had the most users on the internet got the most data. And obviously we're talking about Google for search, Amazon for e-commerce, Facebook for social interactions, And then we had a network effect. The more data those companies got, the better the service they could provide. So Google, the more data it has, the better its search algorithms can work. With uh, Amazon, the more data it has, the more users it can serve, which then will attract more companies to its platform. Uh, Netflix got all this data so it can make recommendations to the users on what films or TV programmes they should watch, and on and on and on and on. And I think that the ability to take advantage of all that data gave these companies tremendous market power. And so the original communications network, the original TCP IP network, continues to, to to be everything we wanted it to be, however the companies on top of it and by the way they didn't do that for evil reasons after all, they did that to become better and to make more money. We cannot accuse any company of doing something wrong because they are trying to run a better business
0: sure.
1: but that has resulted. In, or in, in a competition that consolidates things. So yeah. what do we do about that? Well, we invent some new things. And one of the things that blockchain has done is enable institutions to better collaborate with each other by sharing information over standards. We never had standards for securely sharing data across institutions. We have standards for accessing the web, but we don't have standards for uh, being able to share data to help uh, do things better the way you do that if it's all centralized. So blockchain is now trying to define a set of standards to enable the sharing of data. And over time, that could enable ecosystems of institutions, collaborative institutions, to achieve the kind of market power that today uh, Google and Amazon and so on won't have. So that's one major promise of blockchain.
0: Yes, of course, and I hear you on that. And this is not just about the consolidation of the data or the power that these few companies has, but it is about the fundamental flaws that the internet has as far as the security and privacy and digital identity goes, because, it, <coughs> I'm sorry the internet is a blind network and it doesn't know what data it delivers and just just transfers, you know, this from uh, all these packets from point A to point B. Now, you know, we need a new design which will give the users explicit control over, you know, their decision trust. And it moves the trust from the core of the network to the edges. So that is where the biggest challenge is, and this movement of trust from the core of the network to the edge, which we call decentralization, it is, you know, probably the beginning of the how the internet needs yes. to evolve and is evolving. So while there is this movement of trust from the core of the network to the edges, what other specific problems to the current internet infrastructure do you think that the blockchain solves effectively? Because there are, you know, fundamental flaws and the problems, you know, why the internet is not sustainable for a long time. So
1: so that's an excellent question. And again, let me go back with a little bit of history. So the designers of the internet in the mid-1980s, wanted to develop a very simple communications infrastructure that could support a wide variety of applications so they concentrated on communication tcpip now they could have put security protocols in the original tcpip network but they didn't for a couple of reasons first They wanted to keep it simple. And the more things you add to your fabric, the more complex it gets. Second, remember, this was a network being used by research communities. So in 1985, they didn't anticipate how incredibly successful their baby would become In the commercial world. So their idea was we'll give you a simple network and everything else will be done in the applications that run on top of the internet network. So what happened is nobody is responsible for security in the internet. Different applications are responsible. They all do it differently, and some don't do it at all. Same with privacy. You know, nobody's responsible for making sure that your data is totally private, that only you can access it, or people you give permission to. So those applications have to handle it. And some do it well, and some don't do it at all. Backtrack. So the Internet did many things really well, the underlying TCP IP network, but it left security, privacy to the applications that run on the Internet. And some did it very well and others didn't do it so well or, or didn't do it at all enter blockchain. And one of the absolutely requirements for blockchain is that all the data stored in a blockchain database must be encrypted using public-private key encryption, which is the strongest encryption we have. Moreover, when data flows across blockchain networks, you know, when different institutions are exchanging information on blockchain, everything must be encrypted. And the blockchain runs on top of the basic TCP IP. So anybody that uses blockchain services, will automatically have much, much more security and privacy for their data and transactions because everything is absolutely encrypted. Now, we are in the very early days. So standards are being developed, applications are being developed, but one of the appeals of blockchain for business, government, and healthcare is the security that it brings to the internet is correcting, let me say, a, it's a deficiency, but I don't want to blame the original designers who did the most magnificent job imaginable. but. You know, it's taken us 30 years to fix it. But, you know, in the scheme of history, 30 years is nothing. So hopefully over the next decade or two, all that will be corrected and we will make the internet with its now blockchain services that everybody uses much more secure.
0: Yes, I mean, security definitely seems like, you know, we will, blockchain will be able to give us uh, what we are looking for and also for the privacy and digital identity that nobody will be able to copy our identity. You know, right now on internet, you know, no one knows whether, uh, you know, someone is actually who he sees, that, who he says or she says that that person is because there is no way to authenticate that. So. Blockchain is bringing us a lot of benefits and it's an open source distributed database which will use cryptography. That is the foundational thing, which will give us, you know, collaborative and tracking capability of all kinds of transactions and interactions on this uh, emerging highly distributed decentralized network. So do you see that from your assessment that as we move forward with blockchain, that it will give us this second generation of the internet or internet 2.0 that will uh, enable us to have a truly peer to peer exchange where on the you know and bring neutrality where everybody is a participant and not an inert recipient and that you know the individuals have the power on what data they want to share what data they don't want to share so do you see that kind and where you know security and privacy and digital identity are you know not taken for granted, and you know we have the uh, effective way in which we conduct ourselves, and you know we can take the next step as we uh, go from this Internet 1.0 to Internet 2.0. Do you see all that? capabilities?
1: Yes. well, yes, absolutely, and that's the promise of blockchain. That that it's one of the promises. There are other promises. Sometimes. Uh, Jayshree, when talking to people, they hear blockchain, and they don't know what we're talking about. In many people's minds, they think we're talking about Bitcoin. Yes. Um, And the reality is, while Bitcoin gets a lot of credit for pulling different technologies together into what became known as a blockchain, to initially support Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, as often happens, the blockchain now has a life of its own independent of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And and a lot of people, you know, blockchain, if you start explaining the protocols, the notion of consensus algorithms, the notion of and non-revocable data that you cannot, uh, you can only add new data to the chain. You cannot erase or overwrite data in a blockchain because if you do that, you no longer have a way of verifying all the data. You don't have a history of data and transactions. And part of the security of blockchain is that if, any, if anything goes wrong, if you and I are doing business with each other and you say, Irving, I send you the baseballs that you bought from me. And I say, Yeshree, I never got the baseball. And now we have to hire lawyers and we have to hire accountants. But if we all have a trusted database that we both share and that nobody can modify, then we can resolve our dispute much faster by going to the database. And I can see, gee, Yeshree, yes, I see that that you sent it to me, and I see that, that my company got them. So they made a mistake. So now I have to go chase them to see what happened you know being able to to share information in a very secure way is a huge part of trust yeah. and without trust you cannot do business with each other because then you spend all your time litigating and and mm-hmm. arguing and fighting so there are some very very appealing qualities that blockchain is bringing to the world of business and governments and so on. But actually, let me repeat, these things take time. You cannot, you cannot have major change, you can have changes to technology relatively quickly, but blockchain is 80% people and institutions and 20% technology and humans and our institutions change quite a bit slower. So that's why it will take time. But a number of us are very optimistic that what blockchain in the end is all about is a kind of internet 2.0, a much more secure internet, that protects the privacy of the people involved, and that enables institutions to do business with each other with much better efficiencies and security that's the promise
0: yes, very true. that is the promise. so if we have this global distributed database that can record the fact that we have done any transaction like you just you know described the transaction.
1: What else could it record as we evolve? Well, it can record, you know, there are going to be many applications, and some we can imagine, some we cannot imagine. You know, as was the case with the original internet, if you ask me in 1996, when I first became involved with uh, organizing IBM's internet strategy, did I imagine that it would totally transform the music industry? And the way you distribute films and everything else, I would say, well, that sounds very interesting, but I have no idea. And of course, many of those things have happened now. And once you see the beauty of a platform, based on open standards that everybody embraces, is that the world is going to invent applications on top of this platform. And it's hard for us to imagine because different people will invent different applications. Right now, probably, I, I think the application of blockchain that's easiest to explain is supply chain. Because I think people sort of understand what a supply chain is, how it works, the fact that uh, if, you know, let's say Apple, uh, if you order a, a smartphone or if you order a laptop, uh, the order may go someplace in China where it gets manufactured, but wherever it gets manufactured in China, gate gets components from multiple places. They need to manage inventory. So supply chains for physical products could be an automobile, it could be a computer, could be anything, are very sophisticated. They are very complicated and they are totally global. And so if I say, you know, Shree, I think that having a secure way of sharing data among the members of a supply chain is a gigantic advance. So that is not difficult to explain. Financial services is another major application area. It's harder to explain because Financial service infrastructures are really complicated and few people know how do they work and why is it that when I make a payment through my bank it takes two or three days for your bank to get it and reconcile. And is it that they want to keep my money? Uh, Is it that I don't trust them? Well, some of it may be that, but a lot of it is that they have to go through an intermediary. And only when the intermediary is the one that says, okay, bank A, give me your money, bank B, here is the money, and so on. With blockchain, because they're sharing a database in a very secure way, you can make those payments flow Much, much faster. Same with all kinds of financial uh, instruments. But, you know, finance will take a while. Healthcare is another great application because with healthcare transactions and data, privacy is absolutely critical. So you have this really fragmented industry with hospitals and insurance companies and many different kinds of doctors, and they all need access to your medical records in some way. So how do you do that? Well, blockchain can become a way of securely sharing records, and you can limit what each member of the healthcare ecosystem gets to see. And then there will be many others that it's very difficult to anticipate.
0: Absolutely. There will be many, many applications because the blockchain is uh, a foundational technology just like TCP IP and we generate the internet. So much like the internet in the late 1990s, we still don't know exactly how the blockchain is going to evolve or what kind of applications will emerge on that. But uh, as we witness this current, uh, you know, Boom of decentralized applications, the blockchain development across nations, and while efficiency, scalability, privacy, security, and interoperability—I mean, uh, we are—it is still they are somewhat problematic because you know we haven't uh, quite you know figured out or you know we haven't come up with global standards or come up with you know different protocols on how, by which we can you know uh, get there and blockchain solutions. To these technical and non-technical issues, I mean, they are already in the works, but we haven't uh, implemented that effectively across nations. Uh, I feel that, you know, while we will develop all these applications for healthcare and financial industry and, you know, for government and, you know, for energy industry, there are many, many different applications we will Um, you know, be able to develop uh, that will give us, you know, much more effectiveness and efficiency because of the blockchain. But I think the true potential of blockchain for the coming tomorrow is the computing power that, you know, this, uh, all these uh, computers that have blockchain applications on that, that has blockchain, because that is going to give us the, tremendous computing power to solve the, you know, big problems
1: facing humanity. Do you see that? Well, you know, to some extent we have that today with parallel computing, with very powerful cloud systems and so on. So we have lots of applications in the research world that use that. However, what blockchain helps us do is that often you need access to very sensitive data for some of these applications. Let's take healthcare. You know, you're doing a uh, medical research and you need access to data from patient trials and things like that. And. If you're able to share it across different institutions in a very safe way, that will enable the institutions to collaborate in how to use that data. And so that will be a major advance. Uh, you know, remember the World Wide Web was invented by Tim Berners-Lee in CERN, the Center for a European Research Network, major center of high energy physics to allow physicists to share data. And and look what the web has become. So now this next step is different institutions can share the most sensitive of data in a very secure way, and they can do different things with it. What makes it difficult to predict is we don't know what we haven't done because we knew of that limitation. So when you take away that limitation, what new innovations will spring out that we didn't even think about them because we knew we there was no way we could do them.
0: Yes, yes, very true. And just as the Industrial Revolution was driven by all these you know different kinds of machines and oil the next revolution that's coming our way will be on the backs of artificial intelligence and large exactly. amounts of hardware and computational power and i think that's where blockchain is going to play a big exactly. role this yes. computing power is the new oil or is the new power and electricity it, it,
1: that it, that, it you know, is and, re- and remember for artificial intelligence, the new oil, or sometimes I like to think of it as the mother's milk of artificial intelligence is data. Yes. Yeah. And so being able to share data, exchange data, whatever, it's really, without it, you don't have intelligence. By the way, uh, That's been true in the natural sciences for a few hundred years. So, if you look at physics, you know, astronomy, biology, any scientific discipline, any mature scientific discipline has always been based on experiments or observations that produce large amounts of data. And then when you analyze the data, you find, I don't know, the, the Higgs boson, or you find extra galactic planets in astronomy.
0: Yes.
1: What is new with the massive amounts of data we can now gather about just about any subject is we can begin to understand how cities work. We can begin to understand human behavior in a better way so we can uh, apply it. We can understand how different organizations behave with each other. And uh, that kind of, it's almost like we're bringing the scientific method to just about every discipline. And by the way, one of the very uh, interesting applications I like to remind people is in the old days, in any sport, if you wanted to decide who are the best players, you send scouts to look at different players and based on their intuition and experience, they selected them. That's still very important, but as I'm sure you know, There is a whole new discipline called sports analytics. And you get lots of data about the young athletes coming along. And that data helps you make decisions about who are the best people for these teams. And it's still important for the scouts to see them because there are always human elements that the data cannot tell you. But even in sports, whether it's baseball or soccer or any sport, the game has been transformed into a much more scientific game by the use of data. Yes. So now the question is what other human activities will be transformed and there is no end? Yes, absolutely. there is no end.
0: There is no end, and you are right I mean data is the foundation without having that data uh, we will not be able to get the foresight or intelligence that we need to solve the big problems and i I feel strongly that the future of blockchain is tied to the future of AI because at the last few decades we have witnessed so many innovations in you know medicine science and technology uh, at so much faster than you know at any time before in human history, and we are collecting a lot of data, you know, across industries, right. you know, across nations, but. To, like you said, you know, the data analytics, to analyze the data, we need the raw computing power. And where is that computing power going to come? We need that large amounts of computing power to solve the big problems, you know, that's uh, facing humanity, not only in cyberspace, but also in geospace and the space as we, you know, go forward with the exploration. So, I, do you see that, the blockchain will power science and medicine's future progress or, you know, it will even power the uh, progress in not only, you know, cyberspace but also in geospace, space and also, you know, a lot of uh, uh, initiatives that are emerging to uh, explore what is, be, uh, you know, beneath us, you know, in the ocean and, you know, all yeah. spaces that we don't even know yet. So do you see that the computing power? Well,
1: the, the, the computing, computing power, power is a extremely important, Whether, what role blockchain will play in, in scientific research, which is what you're talking about, it's a little bit hard to tell, because we know what role it's playing in the world of business, because that's where uh, transactions are very critical and the sharing of critical data has to be very carefully handled. Uh, There is no question that computing power is absolutely critical for science. And there is no question that in many ways, the sophisticated analysis of artificial intelligence is going to push the boundaries of science as well. Because since, as we were discussing, um, science is based on gathering and analyzing a lot of data, then uh, the more sophisticated the algorithms and the more computing power we have, the more we can do. When it comes to science, I'm just not, as sure about the role of blockchain that's really all we are very clear about its role in business and about its role in government you know like keeping track of birth and death and real estate transactions which i mean you know how important birth and death and transactions are to society and that's where blockchain shines. I wouldn't be surprised if we find new applications even in the world of science. I'm just, I haven't thought about that. That's, I, sure, that's, sure.
0: I, I hear you on that because I mean, if we see the blockchain is already commoditizing raw processing power and uh, we have, uh, I mean, I believe there are some companies that are emerging like Golem Network, uh, which, uh, which is a polished you know uh, mm-hmm. network uh, that and then you know they, they are developing this uh, decentralized power platform that they call is airbnb for computers so uh, there are many you know interesting yeah, that- uh, new, uh, instit- i mean uh, organizations new initiatives entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship approach is emerging you know yeah. for in the, using the blockchain so uh, what, what I feel is that if blockchain successfully frees the power trap yes. in, in every individual's, you know, computers yes. or iPhones or, uh, you know, any, uh, any other, you know, computing platform or retail-level machines, will it simply drive demand up beyond what the blockchain is prepared to produce?
1: I, I first of all, uh, you, the the question is about will do we have enough computing power yes that computing, is my, or that computing or computing storage yes And the answer is we never have enough because yes. the more computing power and the more storage capacity we find new applications that we were not able to do before that now we can do. So, you know, it's almost like asking, when do we have enough science? The answer is hopefully never, because that means we have stopped uh, inventing and innovating and so on. So I believe that. Uh, Let me give you an example of a very interesting blockchain-based application that I'm involved in. So, in the music industry, uh, the music industry over the last 10-15 years has gone through massive transformation. In fact, maybe other than technology industry, music and media and entertainment in general may well be the industries most impacted by the internet. I mean, look how the role of newspapers have been transformed, and the role of media companies and music companies. And in the old days, you could buy a CD. That was a physical compact disc, and to keep track of the music and who gets paid, and the licenses for the, you you only had to keep track of the sale of CDs, compact discs. That was doable. But then, as you know, when iTunes came along, then people could start downloading individual songs. So now, uh, to decide. How to keep track of royalties and payments and licensing. It was an individual song that you would download from a, a music library. Today, a huge amount of music is through streaming services. Spotify, Amazon Music, and on and on and on and on. Moreover, There is music everywhere. You get into an elevator and somebody's playing something. And remember, in principle, if you were the composer of a song, and by the way, most songs today in today's world have multiple composers. It's no longer just one person. There seems to be a kind of mashup of things So you have to keep track of licensing and royalties, and then you have to keep track of when it's played, and then you have to try to manage the micropayment for each time it's paid. It is about as messy and complex a problem as you can imagine. So there is an organization called the Open Music Initiative that is being led by the Berklee College of Music in Boston. MIT is quite involved with them, the MIT Media Lab, which is one of the groups I'm associated with MIT. Uh, You know, the Berklee College of Music has the industry expertise. Uh, MIT clearly has the technology expertise and then There are many technology companies involved, every music industry company, but to keep track of all these, they are designing and trying to develop a blockchain kind of platform so everybody can see what's going on with the data, make sure they are treated fairly, that the artists get paid, and on and on and on. Sure. That's that's the kind of incredibly complicated application that, without the ability to securely share data, keep track of every transaction, and usually yes, something we haven't talked about, and automate the payments. So if they play this song, you don't want to send an email to a person saying, pay this person 0.001 cents for this song." you want to keep track of the micropayments automatically through what we're calling more and more smart contracts, which is a part of blockchain. So if we're able to do that, and I think we will over time, you now have a much, fairer system for the music industry where the artists get paid you encourage people to participate and there is trust in the system that today is lacking not so much because people are bad but because there is no way of keeping track of all the data
0: Sure, absolutely and i hear you on that and uh, those are you know great benefits and great advantages that the blockchain system is going to provide us and like you said you know for uh, music industry for content you know industry for energy you know finance you know many many industries and governments uh, there are amazing you know uh, trials going on there are great uh, trading you know applications that are being developed a lot of you know advances are happening but to me it seems that the current blockchains are not sustainable they are they are being built on this ethereum blockchain you know and uh, more largely you know and they but you know if we look at where we are going by developing all these different applications using this ethereum blockchain and uh, the current hardware and software that we have it is not sustainable first of all you know the speed that is not going to keep up the uh, large amounts of data that is being produced that we will not be able to have all that data on the blocks, and you know there are many other you know uh, security uh, vulnerabilities also emerging.
1: yeah i i I am less worried about the hardware because I think we'll keep having a lot of progress and and both computers and storage are highly distributed so I, I feel, I'm not worried about that. The biggest concern for both blockchain systems and for AI systems is the incredible complexity. Remember, these are, after all, very complex software systems. And, you know, complex software systems have bugs. They crash, things go wrong, and the bigger the system, you know. So, so when people sometimes ask me, you know, there are people who think maybe artificial intelligence is an existential threat to humanity, that that a computer will develop its own intelligence and decide to take over the world. I am not worried about that at all. Maybe I should be, but I think that's the stuff of very good science fiction movies. However, the complexity of those systems, learning how to test them, being able to explain how they arrive at the results they arrive, the recommendations they arrive, I mean, we're going to be using. We're even starting to use more and more AI systems to assist uh, doctors in making a diagnosis, or to give advice to a judge in what bail to give a defendant, or even sentencing, and uh, or those systems that can give advice to a bank officer on whether to accept or reject a request for a mortgage or a loan, we cannot just say, well, the computer told me to do this. That is not a good answer because in the end, humans are always responsible. So we need those systems. We need to understand why they made the decision why they gave the advice they gave, so we can explain it to other people. Those are incredibly complicated problems. Yes. I think we'll make progress, so I am optimistic, but it will take time. Of course, it of course it time. will take time. Of course it will take time,
0: and but I, I think, where we are going and what we want to do if we are developing this internet 2.0 and if we are trying to provide the computing power for these uh, future of AI and uh, try to solve all the big problems facing humanity, then I feel that I, in my analysis, era, as I evaluate all these, you know, developments and trends happening across nations, the techno- hardware is going to Create a problem you know in the coming years, so I feel strongly that blockchain needs to evolve in the way of chips, and you know we will need to no, no
1: I understand, but that's true of it systems in yes. general yes it's not just blockchain it's probably a more serious problem for AI than for blockchain but i don't th- i honestly i feel comfortable we'll keep making progress I am When it comes to hardware, for example, uh, one of the biggest issues with faster and faster hardware is the energy consumption. Yes. And remember, the more hardware you have and the faster it goes, the more energy it consumes. But advances in the development of technology can make the energy consumption lower yes. because now you get into the real nitty gritty of designing. And so I am, I, I'm honestly optimistic that those are problems that are in hand. As I told you before, for both AI and blockchain, it's the software problems and the problems of managing huge amounts of data, and of uh, learning. In computing, we used to say garbage in, garbage out. So if you give a computer bad data, Then its predictions will be bad. Well, in a world of analytics and AI in which we keep feeding data to the computer, if we don't feed it the right data, remember the data is used to train the AI algorithm. So this is like training a human. If you, if you use the wrong kind of training, You cannot blame the poor child for, you know, not knowing how to do things. So not only do we now have to learn how to write better software, but we have to learn what kind of data to use to train the algorithms so they do the right things. Those are, those are, in my mind, bigger problems than the hardware problems. That's my feeling. Sure. Uh, actually, I I could be wrong, but- uh, This is that, not about that, right or wrong. This is not about no. right or wrong,
0: Irving. You know, we need to, as we evolve, as we develop more applications, and as we try to solve The complex problems that we want to solve, you know, why are we going towards Internet 2.0? Why are we, you know, going towards artificial machine machine intelligence, deep learning, and all these, you know, uh, as we try to solve big problems facing humanity, not only on this earth but beyond in spaces, you know, that we haven't even explored before, there are going to be very complex requirements, and just focusing on software is perhaps not going to give us all the capability, technological capability that we need. We do need to focus mm. on the hardware and i i think there are yeah. some organizations who have sure. already started addressing that so we will see some you know changes in the coming years because i feel that the current you know platforms and current uh mm. ethereum you know and uh, others that are there they are not sustainable you know beyond certain point but having said that designing any new economic system from scratch is a very Complex, you know, challenge, and Absolutely. this is especially very complex as we move towards a decentralized approach from a centralized. That itself mm-hmm. is a big challenge, and human behavior and interaction plays a key role in the crypto yes. economy that we are trying to build. So, Not my Yes. Yeah, so, do we know what we want with this new economic system we are trying to build, and are the nations prepared? Do I mean, do the nations' decision maker understand? What they need to do to prepare for this uh, crypto economy in the coming tomorrow?
1: You are asking some very good questions, and we need enlightened leaders. <laughs> so um, I am hop- you know I'm hopeful that in the more democratic, free market governments, we will elect enlightened leaders. We may not always do, you know, there are always ups and downs, but I think we'll make progress. But there are a lot of policy matters. For example, Yeishri, we've been talking quite a bit about the need for research to advance all these topics. And of course, to do great research, you need very talented people. You need them to be well-educated. And then you need to support research. And a lot of the responsibility of making sure you have an educated population and that you support research the right way depends on government policy. And uh, are governments all doing the right things? Well, as many people have pointed out, technology advances are moving faster than our ability to keep up with them. And that includes our government. So it's almost like, we, and and it includes business, it includes everybody. So we have to run like crazy just to keep up. It's like Alice in Wonderland. That the technologies are advancing so rapidly that just to keep up, to stay there, you have to be running like crazy. Yes, yes,
0: very, very true.
1: Can we do it? We have in the past. If we look at the past 100 years, 150 years, the world has made incredible advances. There have been also terrible things happening. There have been wars they have been technologies used in war, so, uh, you know, there are always bad things going along, but this is where I'm optimistic that overall, we've made very good progress, and my hope is that we will continue.
0: Yes, very true. That is everyone's hope that we will continue on the path uh, of progress and development. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners?
1: I would like to tell them that, first of all, they should get as educated as possible in these new advances. I don't mean they have to become experts in AI algorithms, or blockchain algorithms, but they should at least understand what they are and understand the kinds of applications so that when somebody mentions AI to them, they know what people are talking about. And mm-hmm. when somebody mentions, you know, robots that are as intelligent as humans, they say, wait a second, where did you hear that? And the people will say, I went to this movie, Blade Runner, <laughs> or I watched this, uh, this wonderful series on HBO, Westworld, and they had robots that were like humans, and then say, no, 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 that's fiction. <laughs> Those are not real. No, but I'm being serious. Yes. Okay. I think it's very important for, for educated people to be able to tell hype from reality. Mm. And that's even more important than ever because to get a good job, you need more and more skills, which requires education. And I would say they should um, encourage their government to support education and to support research. And they should encourage encourage their local communities. It's not just the big government, you know, a lot of the best things happen at the more local levels in cities and regions and states, And that's the way I think we can make good progress. So be a very well informed society. That's what I would ask. And I'm sure they are, otherwise they wouldn't be watching the, the programs that you put together.
0: Yes, no very true. And that, that that's an excellent advice that be informed because that is so very essential for facing the challenges, not only today, but also for the coming tomorrow.
1: Exactly. And,
0: yes. And as a blockchain technology shows us the promise of the future, and gives us the power to solve complex problems facing humanity let us hope that individually and collectively we can truly bring the world together beyond our divisions and differences exactly into a you know unifying and uh, bringing the meaning of unity and purpose for the future of humanity so
1: thank you exactly so much. thank you sir so yeah, and, and all these technologies by the way we've been talking about it encourage collaboration. Yes. And they encourage collaboration across industries, across governments, across people all over the world, because the more we collaborate, the better everybody becomes. And and so I'm very happy that everything we've talked about from the internet, to blockchain, to AI, really works much better when there is trust and collaboration uh, in the world. and So that's a big part of this.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So thank you so much, Irving, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the future of blockchain and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the trends in blockchain technology transformation. So even if a single individual or entity can innovate or be prepared based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, this RISK Roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful. So RISK Roundup, a global initiative launched by RISK Group is a security risk reporting for risk emerging From existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they all walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So, if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk Conduct, to watch the risk of webcast or hear the risk of podcast, please go to riskgrouppalacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jay Shree, host of Risk Signing off. See you next time. Thank you.